like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed, my colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, Aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whatever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified.
All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? everyone, DJ Anubis. And DJ Neko. With you on the Metal Time Radio Podcast, The Hordes of Chaos, episode 176. And we're racking them up. Racking and stacking them. Yeah. I'm, I'm such a nerd. You are a nerd. <laughs> oh my god, this week has been so crazy. But the craziest thing is what DJ Anubis just told me after we were listening to our cover of Joan Jett that he didn't realize that it was the Sunday night football theme. <laughs> yeah, uh, I didn't think about it because I've always known about the song from Joan Jett and Seven Kingdoms is an amazing cover. That, uh, Sabrina Valentine has a wonderful voice. Uh, they, like I said a while back, uh, their new record is one of my favorites of the year and they do an awesome cover of Hearts Barracuda. I just I love that cover. Um, but yeah, the, the, as I'm listening to the record, of course, and of course hearing this cover they did, I'm like, you know, this sounds an awful lot like another song. <laughs> and I've I just, been waiting it, all day for Sunday night. Yeah, so like, you know, it just didn't click with me. I, I, I suppose I kind of recognized the tune, but didn't realize they were strictly covering uh this particular tune so that's kind of funny to me he was funny because he's like yeah i i'm just too busy looking at carrie underwood <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like i'll go and i'll mute it and i was like watch her you know if i had enough time i'd probably rub one out but uh <laughs> uh other news though today is uh vince mcmahon is retired officially i heard WWE. that i heard that yeah He's 77, and so he's calling it a day. Uh, you know, granted, the last... I know I'll probably get some hate back from... I mean, not everybody, but, like... I would say the last 10 or so years have been kind of mediocre for the WWE. That's why a lot of people are going to AEW and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been struggling to find, like, superstars, you know, outside of, like, a select few mm-hmm. that can really carry the WWE. But for the most part, Vince McMahon was... 
a genius in terms of how he handled the WWE. He really turned it into a business. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I go back and I watch some of those older uh, stuff from the 80s and he was still just a commentator. <laughs> like, you know, just really just on the side talking to these guys. And I'm like, wow, that's how far he came. You know, he, he grew the business and they became like a big thing. So uh, I can't tell you how much, like, we all know that it's fake in a sense that everything is predetermined, but the athleticism and all that and the, the, the work that goes into it, it's all real like you know you can hurt yourself you can and they come out with injuries that are athletes i mean what it's fake but like so is other entertainment mm -hmm. this is a reality this is the original reality show think about like well when i was the thing though like i was trying to like i don't know when wrestling was in its infancy, like, how much of that was real, you know, was it really them just wrestling to see the one, or was it even scripted back then? I don't think it was. I don't it was know. scripted to a point, because it was more like, um, they were working on their personalities. Their right. ring personalities, so if your name is like, you know, the demon, but you're gonna be like, I'm the demon. But if, as time went on, it, it got really, really interesting because they started taking it to another level. They were accepting these personalities and these personas outside of the ring. So I, I just found it like really, really interesting to see um, the how like look at like the Undertaker. You know, he really like embodied his entire personality all these years and. But he's an older wrestler. Like, it, it, he started a while ago. And you saw, like, um, Ultimate Warrior, the same thing. So it kind of started where, yes, we have these personalities, but the ring is our stage. Mm -hmm. But as time went on, they got more intricate. They started having stories, and they started, like, having feuds and things. And it worked. Yeah. That, that was a lot, of, a lot of those. Vince McMahon did a lot of that, so... That's how he was able to take and turn it into, like, this giant monster, you know, when Hulk Hogan and Macho Savage all were starting to get all this attention mm -hmm. as superstars. So, yeah, I mean, he did a really good job with that, and, you know, he did a lot of good things. I don't know if Stephanie's taking over his daughter or not, because I know she's a part of it. Same with her husband, uh, Hunter Helmsley, as Triple H. So I don't know how much of it they're going to carry or what's going on there with that. But uh, but Vince is, what, 77 or yeah. something? He's up there, and I think, like, I, I say this, too. I think another part of it is he was facing some allegations more recently about sexual harassment or something. So I think that has something to do with it. Uh, I think he's trying to protect, you know, WWE in the sense that like, he, he might be... the reputation of the... Company. Right, he might be innocent of whatever they're accusing him of, but he's probably like, okay... I'm, but you know how the court of public opinion is. As soon as you exactly. hear something, they're going to start dragging it through the mud, regardless of finding out if you are innocent or not. Right. And, and it's, kind of, it's kind of sad that that happens, but as soon as... Especially nowadays, where me media and news is instant... As soon as somebody gets like something juicy, they want to put it up there and and report on it, regardless of if. Uh, we'll be getting to some more of that when we get to uh, talking about Bridget Lee, because uh, you know that kind of ties into what some of the stuff we were talking about last week on the podcast and what I 
said in the uh, YouTube video I did for the unboxing I did for Severance. For Bridget, yeah. yeah. So we're going to get into a lot of that that deals with like public opinion and, and being in a courtroom and all that stuff. So a uh, lot of great music coming your way as usual. Um, also going to do a retro movie DVD vault. Mm. Uh, interesting pick for uh, Neko this week. It was with a little bit of... I was going to pick something else. Um, and it's fine that I didn't pick it because uh, this particular movie I haven't seen. And I just... It's like beautiful 80s gold. That's all I have to say about it right now. Uh, and then we also got a topic about werewolves, which we'll get into. But it's tied in with the Nazis. Nazi Controversial. <gasps> right. Oh my god. But uh, let's get into our first block of music. Uh, got some negative playing new stuff from them. Burial Cult, new stuff, as well as new stuff from Exoma. Here's Contortions of Passage.
So, where do you uh, work, Peter? In a tech. And, yeah, what, what do you do there? I sit in a cubicle, and I update bank software for the 2000 switch. What's that? Well, see, they wrote all this bank software, and uh, to save space, they used two digits for the date instead of four, so like 98 instead of 1998. Uh, so I go through these thousands of lines of code, and... Uh, it doesn't really matter. I, uh, I don't like my job, and uh, I don't think I'm going to go anymore. You're just not going to go? Yeah. Won't you get fired? I don't know. But I really don't like it, and uh, I'm not going to go. <laughs> so you're going to quit? Nuh-uh. Not really. Uh, I'm just going to stop going. Uh, when did you decide all of that? About an hour ago. Really? Yeah. About an hour ago. <laughs> so you gonna get another job? I don't think I'd like another job. <laughs> what are you gonna do about money and bills and... You know, I've never really liked paying bills. I don't think I'm gonna do that. Werewolf women of the SS. Welcome to Death Camp 13. Home of the Nazis' diabolical plan to create an army of super werewolf soldiers. This project, its failure, will be your demise and the end of Germany, Bowman. You have been chosen. <laughs> Rejoice! I have found the perfect solution. The she-devils of Belzac. They alone supply the blood needed to save Hitler's mad dreams. Or will the pride of Germany fall into ruin? This is my project. We are now in total control of pure wolf. This is an outrage! Silence! Featuring Udo Kier, Sherry Moon Zombie, Tom Tolles, Sybil Danning, Bill Mosley, and Nicholas Cage as Fu Manchu. This is my vision! <laughs> All right. Got to hear that uh, fake trailer. From oh, it's a fake trailer. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't know what it was. Yeah, uh, that was done uh, by Rob for Tarantino's Grindhouse movies, uh, Death Proof, as well as Planet Terror. And of course, the other fake trailer that was put out around the same time was one for a movie that became a movie called Machete. It was also a fake That's trailer. That's right. It was. A, I remember that. It was a fake trailer, and then the, people had such a great reaction to it that they decided to make it a Which movie. Which is funny, because I would love to see a movie about the werewolf women of the SS as well. I would, too. But it's funny, because uh, the topic today is about how that actually plays into history of Nazis and everything else. Like, it's so funny because I, I, you know, everyone that listens to our show knows I'm a big werewolf guy. I love werewolf movies, the lore, books, uh, movies like Dog Soldiers, of course. Um, but then you have like movies like Werewolves of the Third Reich, uh, Werewolf Survived the Dogs of War, Iron Wolf. There was a creep show episode called Bad Wolf Down that incorporated Nazis with the werewolves. Uh, 
And then like Hellboy, the beginning of Hellboy. Hellboy, oh my god, it had even though so werewolves, much lore in it. But even Am though I it was that lore, 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 lore. I mean, there wasn't any werewolves in that part of it, but one thing that was always attached to Hitler was his fascination with the occult, and so Hellboy kind of like showcased some of that. So, but obviously, apparently, uh, I didn't really put a whole lot of thought into it until recently about when I saw this article by. Uh, what is the uh, company? Smithsonian Magazine. Yeah. Uh, written by Lorraine uh, Bozinelt. I know I'm pronouncing that wrong, so sorry for that. But uh, she writes, the article is called The Nazi Werewolves Who Terrorized Allied Soldiers at the End of World War II. And so I, I found that very interesting because, of course, like I said, the whole Nazi and werewolf thing has kind of been tied together in movies and, and stuff like that over the last you know years or so. So, basically, what it gets down to is when Germany was starting to lose the war uh, at the end of World War II, they were becoming desperate. Uh, so, one thing that Hitler was kind of good at uh, throughout the World War II was his uh, way of using propaganda. And so, what he did was, uh, basically, out of desperation, they turned to supernatural for inspiration, which, mm -hmm. again, uh, you know, Hitler was still trying to grabbed this whole cult thing. He was, he was looking up witchcraft and uh, Holy Grail, stuff like Holy Grail type stuff uh, to try to uh, in some ways, it's almost like you wanted to pick Hitler's brain and think about what the fuck were you thinking, dude? <laughs> like the fact that you're a monster. I was like, what were you really thinking? Did you think you could find some kind of supernatural? But the scarier thing is that he had some success with this. Like he created a uh, Basically, a paramilitary uh, group as well as uh, other partisan fighters, and basically gave them the names werewolves or you know uh, werewolf soldiers, basically, and uh, used that propaganda to kind of like demoralize the occupying soldiers that they were fighting against. And it's interesting because you have to think about Russia and Germany during the time of World War II, um, and it's well known and documented that clearly the Holocaust, but also a lot of um, experiments were done on people. So I think at that time when you're, you're kind of throwing that out there, like, first of all, it's, it, it is just to scare people, like, you know, where we're scaring the, the allied troops, but it's almost like when you're, when, as the war is going on and you're hearing about all these horrific things, you're like, well, maybe, because there's, there's not the internet or, or anything back then, maybe with this experimentation they have, like, done something fucking crazy and turned people into, right. you know, monsters. Yeah, and that's the other thing, like, you know, really around 1940 or 45 through that time, they had movies and stuff like that and of course early versions of the horror like the wolfman dracula and stuff uh was out there but you know unlike now where information is so easy to get you know through the web or through television like we just as, as news channel we've grown a lot too so the way that hitler was able to create his propaganda by flying planes over cities and dropping pamphlets or whatever uh, it was much easier to kind of get away with doing stuff like this because people just weren't as aware now then as they are now about you know 
whether or not it's true, uh, whether or not werewolves exist. I mean, even now, we, you and I, we watch docs about, like, the Beast of Bray Road where they talk about possible werewolves and, and wolf creatures living out in the woods, mm-hmm. even by farmland and whatnot. So, generally, we all say to ourselves, well, it's just not possible, but... Back then, it's it's even worse because you don't have you, you don't really have like the science behind it, right? And, and then you hear with so much going on and how scary of time it was for especially the people in Europe. You're you're like, well, you've got this crazy monster man who is just exterminating people left and right, and this is really crazy D- during World War, World War II. Russia had a lot of experimentation and um, it was kind of going hand in hand with the Nazis too but there was at one point where Russia apparently was able to like cut the head off of another dog and put it on a pike or something no a dog so the dog had like two heads and it was able to live for like a couple of days Mm -hmm. with it before so when you hear things like that and i'm sure shit like that trickled out here and there um it may not be so um unbelievable and for us now like there's so many unbelievable things that we hear too like um a big thing right now is is ufos everybody you know you hear somebody talking about UFOs like Randy Quaid did in uh, Independence Day, and you're like, he's a fucking lunatic. But then, uh, recently, (laughs) the fucking United States has released files on things that they cannot explain. Like, they're not saying they're aliens, but they're like, these were spotted by our, you know, pilots, our military pilots seeing these items we don't know what they are. We don't know if they're aliens. We don't know if it's some unusual phenomena. So even today, we still have like that tiny little bit of belief because all the science and all the technology, we could, I mean, you could easily and fucking today, you just start one Twitter thread and telling people, do you remember? And I don't know if you remember this when, um, I don't, I have no idea who started it, but there was this whole thing that the government exterminated all of the birds on the United States and birds were not real. They were fake bird drones to spy. And this is, a, oh, yeah, they, yeah. this is fake. This is not real, but it, it got blown up so fast and you know, this is, 2022 we have you know the ability to just like yeah now they can make almost like little insects that are like radio devices so we're we're able to still have enough people believe that where if you go back to 1944 when this kind of rumor and this propaganda started a lot of these things you know you had your newspaper you had your radio programs you had um you know, when you would go to the movies, they'd have the Cinemascope um, news programs. Um, that's all you really had. And the science, I mean, just think of how different science was in 1944 compared to 1922. I mean, that's, what, 80 years ago? 
it's there's so many advances just in general medical science so when you are scared and when you are believing that this monster is capable of doing things it's not too far-fetched in your mind living in europe that hitler is breeding werewolves to take over the rest of europe yeah it's again you know back to like the propaganda aspect of it you know you have at the time they, they mentioned that early on when they would go to fight uh towards you know when they first started hearing about the werewolf uh fighters that instead of seeing a swastika on a tree or a wall it'd be more like uh really sloppy looking look like the ss and so already it kind of looked like it was sort of like uh somebody who wasn't well put together in the head trying to do it and then even Patton had come out and said uh this threat of werewolves on murder was bunk but he said the american media and the military took the threat of partisan fire seriously and the werewolf organization is not a myth. Some American authorities saw the bans of guerrilla fight as one of the greatest threats to security in both American and Allied zones of occupation. That's the key. Like, the guerrilla warfare, we see that, like, in lots of war where um, it's just a small faction, but they make such a big difference, and they can make a big problem. Big? I'm saying big a lot. I hate that. I... I I wish I could be a little bit more articulate sometimes, but when, when I'm just kind of speaking off mm -hmm. the cuff with my feelings, like, they're not, I think, you know, the general is basically kind of saying it's not real, but it's scary enough, and they think that they could potentially be real. I know in that article from the Smithsonian Magazine, they were saying they're pulling from German lore mm -hmm. and they're really trying to like take some of their really ancient history and put it into what was current at that time so you know yeah yeah and again we're going to get to it more with the Bridget story but you know back to the media aspect you know newspapers were running headlines like fury of Nazi werewolves to be unleashed on invaders and but, you know, one thing they mentioned was, despite the propaganda of, you know, the goal of intimidating the Allied forces, it didn't really help them in the long run in terms of uh, over uh, gaining the trust of the citizens. The citizens kind of like, it just made them more frightened about Hitler than it did about what he can do to the, the enemy, supposedly, at the time. So, uh, for them, it was like, you know, the werewolf campaign endangered those German citizens who welcomed the Western occupiers. So it's like Hitler wasn't able to win over the people he wanted to by creating this force that was, you know, with the the werewolf title and you know, with them. So it's really, really interesting. Like I um every now and then I go down like a World War One and World War Two uh spiral just I'll start reading articles and watching documentaries. And we did recently just watch the Pearl Harbor mm -hmm. documentary. Um, and you and I, like you, a long time ago, but me actually kind of recently, um, when I was working in Hawaii, I, I went to see, went to visit Pearl Harbor and visit the memorial. Um, it was a very different... Um, a very different time like how things were handled just 
in war in general. So when when we think about like I read this book and it this is fiction, but it was written um from like flash forward into the 1980s, but like flashback during World War II. And it it was I've, I've done a couple of those uh that where it was fictional history, but when you hear about during World War II, like the rations, especially in Europe, like they rationed everything. They rationed butter, they rationed flour, bacon, etc. Um, you've got an entire world that is kind of at a standstill. So it's very, very easy to take someone at their weakest moment. Hitler has Germany at their weakest moment, you know, like he could just totally run with anything. And we saw how hard it was for, um, you know, for, for Japan and for, for Germany. And, and when the allied forces finally, like it took years to just, stop it and then years to rebuild and then you you know in Germany with the Berlin Wall that didn't come down until 89 so it is impactful what what was going on and I love these little tiny um factions that kind of pop up because it almost feels like at this point Hitler I don't want to say Hitler was grasping at straws but he was using everything he could to work in his favor. Yeah, and they mentioned that in the article. Like, you know, they were getting so desperate that that's what they were resorting to with the mysticism and the supernatural. And But it's funny because even in the article, it says, however little effect the werewolves may have had on German war effort, they never disappeared entirely from the minds of the American media and politicians, according to von Holdenberg. In American popular culture, the image of a Nazi and a werewolf often emerged. This was taken up by the Bush administration during the Iraq War when Condoleezza Rice, Donald oh, Rumsfeld, wow. and President Bush himself repeatedly compared insurgents in Iraq to werewolves and the occupation of Iraq to the occupation of Germany in 1945. Even today, an analysts have used the Nazi werewolves as a comparison for ISIS fighters. So, despite what we see in, in our horror movies and, and stuff like that, uh, it's still just that symbolism there, and which is sad because, for me, werewolves don't really represent Nazis, but I, I acknowledge that, that it, you know, through this and stuff that I've seen that that was something that Hitler was using, but I just hope people don't go around thinking werewolves are Nazis now. <laughs> I don't think all werewolves are Nazis. Maybe German werewolves are Nazis. Well, if we think about it, like when I go back to that episode in Creepshow, you remember the they were Nazis who were uh, came to a like a, a house or a building or something, and mm -hmm. there were some people locked up in a cage, and uh, or one person in particular, and I think she was American or something, but uh, I can't remember exactly how it all ended up turning out, but uh, or no, it was Americans came and the woman was a Nazi, I think. I have to go back and rewatch mm -hmm. it, but uh, they were kind of surrounded by all the other Nazis, and so what they did, uh, the chick that was in the cage, they'd been testing on or whatever with the werewolf, and uh, 
So the last, she was dying basically. So she was like, "Well, I'll give you this gift." And then they all got bitten. Then they went out and killed all the Nazis or whatever. But they kind of used it against them, basically. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And I know when you go to do your write-up, you'll include this link for the people to check out because uh, it's better to read it rather than just you know everything that we're saying about it. But I thought it was pretty interesting. I mean, it's coming from Smith Smithsonian Magazine, and they do a lot of historical research on top of curating the Smithsonian Museum. Right. Another interesting Nazi fact that I was, you know, Anubis and I kind of talked about um, off before we, we did this, but the Nazis, they were going every direction they could with trying to win the war, trying to take over everything from, you know, extermination to werewolves. Also, they just wanted to destroy... A war can destroy the economy in Europe, but they, um... They had all of that Nazi gold, mm -hmm. and they were printing fake British uh, pound sterling because they wanted to flood Britain with all this fake money, which back then you can't really tell. To destroy the economy. So they could, you know, bring inflation up so much. And apparently at one point they had um, dumped it at the bottom, the, the gold and, and the British pound sterling in, in a lake. And there have been many people with, um, you know, remote submersible looking for all of this but it has been documented they they tried to do this and i find that very interesting too again don't don't think i'm like siding with the nazis i'm just finding this all unbelievably interesting because well it just shows you the lengths that hitler would have gone exactly to try to do this like it's just crazy but you know it's good that we stopped them and everything it's good that we still talk about it too because yeah, it is 80 years past, and you and I were definitely not alive. Our parents were not alive. Um, I don't know. When when was your... Uh... Uh, your parents might have been alive, like, at the tail end yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. As babies. My parents were not born until the 50s. My great-grandparents... My great-grandfather actually was... Um, at one point a merchant mariner like me and I um he had a US merchant mariner's credential and in like you know the subtext of it if you if you have an active credential um and it's wartime you can be called up to to serve in the navy and he was I think maybe 30 31 yeah I think my my adoptive father he fought in the Korean War, so mm -hmm. that, but that wasn't until 1950, so... That was my grandfather, too. This is my great-grandparents, and, um... But, yeah, like, my great-grandfather was in the Navy during World War II because he was a merchant mariner at one point, but at, at the time he was not, but his credential was still active, because they're active for, I think, 10 years, and, um... He was married, had a one-year-old kid, and they are like, time to fucking go! <laughs> So it was it was kind of interesting like every again I really sometimes just watch documentaries and read nonfiction 
and I really hope people younger than me do, or maybe you and I should start making a TikTok about history because history can repeat itself and it can, and I think if you're not educated and if the majority of people are not educated and you see how different schools just do not give the proper information, what well, the fuck's going to happen? Yeah, now they try to change, you know, the dynamics of school and what history they should be taught. And, you know, we saw it like, look, Neko and I would never endorse, like, stuff that happened in the past, like with racism and segregation and all that but uh you know simply removing statues or uh pretending it never existed right like you just you can't really do that because otherwise you don't really learn from the past and that's really what that's there for because this shit happened and it's real and if you don't learn from the past you're never going to be a better person and that's i mean if anybody i've look at some of the stupid shit i've done and this is just minimal stupid shit if me as a human being cannot acknowledge my past and move forward and be better how can the world acknowledge something in the past and move forward and be better if we're just going to pretend it never happened right all right well let's get back into our music uh got some riptide hard rocker Mortis Scold, Hypocrisy, band called Gangrena, which was introduced to me by Nuno, who just put out a new record for Salk You, so we'll get to that probably next week. But here's some brand new stuff from Denied called Divided.
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y Sci-Fi Century Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information Peace
Introducing the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast, available today on your favorite podcast platform. Metal Tavern is a heavy metal, rock music, and movie podcast where they discuss movies, music, current events, and feature live interviews with bands, artists, and YouTube personalities. They spotlight independent labels and feature the underground bands the label represents. Again, that's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Stream it today on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, YouTube, and at the website MetalTavernRadio.com. Many episodes up for you to listen to already, and make sure you subscribe to be notified of future releases. That's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Go listen, download, and subscribe today. You can also connect on Facebook. Search Metal Tavern Radio and follow the guys on Twitter at DJ Anubis88 and DJ underscore Nico Catfreak. We are back, getting ready to jump into our rock block. We got some Electric Mountain from Quabar PR, Neko's Pick of the Week, Misaligned from Inverse Records, LA Project from the Metalist PR. I absolutely love that you have such great connections with all of these independent labels because our entire goal with this podcast, think about what we put out. 90% of it 
is independent labels. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, clearly we'll put in a few favorites, but our entire goal is just to spread the word. Yeah. And I, I just, every time you say, oh, Metalist PR, oh, we have some stuff from Nuno, oh, we have this, and I, I really applaud these independent labels and these bands just, nowadays it's so difficult, you have to like fucking go viral to get any kind of notoriety. Yeah, I do. I actually meant to, and I'll probably do it tomorrow sometime if I get time to write like a thank you and tag them in Facebook and stuff just because we have a healthy, pretty good list of, of, you know, labels and promotional sites that have been working with us for a while. So it's nice to just throw out some love there to them specifically. Uh, but we also got some Hell's Abyss, a request by our good fan favorite, Kevin Tarrant. And uh, speaking of labels, a brand new track from Drabic uh, from a first time ever Volcano Records. Ooh, this, uh, Volcano Records, I like that. It's called Parasite, and we'll be back when it's time for Neko's Jam. Mwah.
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you
Misaligned, never coming back. I really like that song too. Good stuff, right? Great. All right, so you're up. What do we have this week? I'm up. <sighs> so much pressure. Oh my god. Oh. But it comes from one of the greatest albums of all time. And, and that's that's mainly why I picked this song. Um, I was maybe 11 when this album came out and I it was one of the first CDs I actually so purchased huh <laughs> so scary thinking about that I was like 21 yeah <laughs> so this is 1991 and I got um, you know my first CD player and I I had lots of CDs through Columbia House, believe it or not, that this was on the Columbia House list. Um, my grandfather, he was super generous, and I'm like, can I do this? It's 12 CDs for one cent. And he's like, sure. As long as you buy those other three CDs uh, they yeah, send you. Right. Or one of them, anyway. I forget how it exactly worked. But. And if you forget, then it's like you got billed like $8 million right. or some shit. So... I um I picked out a bunch of CDs and he bought them for me and this CD was it's it spoke to me <laughs> as they say um and you got to remember like I think about my you know Riley our niece she's the same age as I would have been listening to this song it's kind of an an influential age you know so I get the CD and the one thing I loved so much was when you pulled out the um, little leaflet inside the case and unfolded it, it was a poster. Mm -hmm. And I did this thing um, on my, my door in my bedroom where um, I wasn't really supposed to put up posters, but I put them on my door. So it was kind of like... Why? Because they didn't want holes in the wall or something? I don't know. I I mean... Well, no. My parents were a lot like that, too. Like, again, like the fact that my basement is adorned with posters, like, the first time in my life, or when I was on my own, that I could actually have it uh, the way I wanted it. So, like... It's funny, because they never went... Because the house that we grew up in, the top floor was literally mine and my sister's there was no bathroom it was just two bedrooms and on my door i um it was just like your standard wooden door but i would put on the front and the back as i found cool things in magazines or posters or whatever i had a gigantic poster of dr evil on the door as well but they never, you know, they never came in or anything or cared. But this, again, it's a CD and you usually you open up the CD and it's like a booklet. This was a poster. So I was like, fuck yeah. And then I feel like I listened to this CD from beginning to end, you know, a hundred times. Again, as a young girl, 11, 12 years old, just really vibing with it. So, I picked this particular song because, first of all, it's, I don't know, the album this came off of, the song Jeremy, was 
the song got overplayed. It was overplayed, and it was actually a very awesome song. But good video actually would resonate today. That's mm -hmm. it was so much, and this is '92 when that video came out. But for me, like I really liked the song Black, and I liked just the whole album. Anyway, I picked this song because. We were talking about wrestling earlier. <laughs> it was at one point. It was Chris Jericho's, uh, you know, walking in music. Right. Um, not to take away about how great the song is, but it's like a hype up song. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 like a so. Yeah, between like the opener with the live, and then this one, it just really kicks the album off and. It's funny, Sony the other day, because they talk, often talk about the big four of thrash with mm -hmm. Metallica and Megadeth, etc. And they said, well, what's the big four of the 90s grunge uh, alternate rocker? And people were saying it's Nirvana, Nirvana, Nevermind, uh, Pearl Jam 10, uh, Soundgarden, Soundgarden, but they used uh, Super Unknown as the representation of them. And then um, Allison changed. They had facelift, but I think Dirt would probably Dirt be more. Dirt would probably be more grungy. And I would still go back to Soundgarden and probably say maybe Bad Motor Finger, because that's really when they started taking off, because uh, Outshined on there. and Outshined. Kind of... But, uh, yeah, I could see those four being in. I mean, maybe an argument for Nine Inch Nails, but it wasn't the same kind of feel as the rest of these bands at the time. I really... And, and that's the other thing, too. Um, I feel like Pearl Jam... Um, they have a similar feel, but also different. Like, so Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. All from Seattle. Well, <laughs> they have that similar feel, but they're all, like, distinct enough mm -hmm. to kind of, like, differentiate. And, um... I, en I really, like, I really enjoyed the 90s, and you probably can tell with all of my picks of the week. I, I could go from, you know, grunge to metal to rap to, like, club music. And maybe it's just because that's how I grew up. I, you know, I, I was, it was my youth, but I felt like this song just... I, I after it turned into a wrestler's walking in, you know, anthem. Maybe maybe people just kind of like brushed it off. It was for a hot second, it was good, and it, it was a single, but everything else kind of overtook all of Pearl Jam's songs. Overtook this song. It was hot for a second, but it just kind of like turned into, you know, Chris Jericho's theme music. Mm -hmm. And I don't want people to think that this is just Chris Jericho's theme music. This is a good song. Um, so I hope everybody listens to this and says, Okay, I remember Pearl Jam from the 90s, even though Pearl Jam is still making music. But Pearl Jam of the 90s, this was the hotness. And you couldn't go anywhere without Pearl Jam. So without further ado, I present to you... Even Flow by Pearl Jam. Audio Jam. Attention, please. 
Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, DJ Neko's pick of the week.
Welcome to my house. I'm Angelica, driver of Safarial Band. And you listen now to Metal Tavern Radio. Now to talk a little bit about Bridget Lahey. Mm. I thought her name was Lahey. 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 I don't know. I, I'm not even really sure how you pronounce it in particular, but uh, yeah, Lahey is one way I've always pronounced it. Uh, for those that didn't pay attention to my YouTube video or hear us talk a little bit about her last week, uh, she's an actress, uh, also a talk show host now in, my, in recent years. Uh, she was an actress for both mainstream and uh, adult films, mm -hmm. mainly in the 70s and 80s. And it's someone that you really like and appreciate her work, and I, I feel like she she's very uh, groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. she's cross genres. She's not just like because she did do kind of pornographic movies but then she went and did some horror movies and she was a favorite in lots of B movies. Yeah, I kind of pointed out in the the video that I did that, you know, at the time in 76, I believe, it was a year after France uh first illegally allowed legally allowed uh pornography to be done. Uh she was one of the first ones to, to jump into that uh film industry at that time. She was also when she started working with Gene Rollins uh, on his horror films, his mainstream stuff, uh, Grapes of Death was actually the first gore film in France. So she was in that as well. So as you said, she was very groundbreaking and everything. And as I talked about in the video, I got a uh, Severin package that they, it's limited to like 500 uh, copies of that particular I didn't pack. realize that was such a limited run. Yeah, and that's, that's why, why you jumped on it. Right. Um, and, you know, it's pricey, but again, for easy pavements. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> she she created a monster now. This <laughs> is the problem. I, I taught him about four easy or five easy payments, and I um, I would order something or whatever. I'm like, oh, don't worry, baby. It's five easy payments or it's four easy payments. And now he's using that against me. <laughs> Multipass. 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 Uh, yeah, so, but, you know, look, uh, as I showed in the video, like, you get the book, which, that book is very detailed, it's, it's a nice. It's book. Right. It's quality pictures behind the scenes. It's like a coffee table book. It's yeah. not like yeah. some bullshit magazine. <laughs> right. Uh, I got a signed uh, mini poster from Bridget uh, from one of her films, which was uh, Faceless that Where we watched. Where you put it? I don't know yet. I, I want to get a frame for it, I think. We'll measure Small it frame. and we'll find one. Um, she signed, uh, obviously, one of the, um, the faceless cover for the DVD, the blue, uh, 4K that we got. And, I uh, got the execution. We have to watch the execution at some point, because I haven't, a female execution, excuse me. Uh, because we haven't, I have not seen that before. So, like, faceless, that will be new to us at some point. Um. Faceless is pretty. It's pretty good. It's like, graphic-wise, yeah. It's, it's. One cheesy, the, but that's the way it it's, was kind of... It's cheesy, but, like, when they start getting into the gore, you're like, 
this is yeah, they didn't. They didn't hold back. I mean, look, the effects aren't the greatest, of course, because they're not using Tom Savini or anybody around. I think my favorite though was when they actually removed the face. The face. Yeah, and I'm like, this, this physically could not happen. And then they have the eyes like yeah, the eyes are around. going side to side, and she supposedly Awake. not uncon, and she's going. Yeah, the whole the whole premise was that he had to remove the face for another person, but it had to be while they were awake and alive. They couldn't do it while they were dead or anything. So we need to preserve right. their skin. Those. So I was happy that he got it. Like I give him a hard time. I know I do because he likes to buy things, and <laughs> I I'm not the only one who likes to buy things. Trust me. Uh, this one here will buy things up the ass. I end up when, especially when she's out. That's like when she really gets hot mama moment. Cause like I'll be here, and shit will start coming out of fucking porch. I mean, that means like, mommy's coming home. I'm like, what is all this shit she's ordering? Like, what the fuck is this? And, shit? But see, the last time I was out, I wasn't so bad, and I was like, I got you a present, and then I got you another present, and he'd open it up, be like, yay. I um, but I I am. When it's time to come home, like I, I, and I'm in transit to the port, I do get a little like, because we're not work- mainly because you're kind of preparing. For well, I'm preparing to come home, and then we're not working really. We're like doing cleanup. You know, we're putting shit away. It's not a real work day. The cable's done, so I'm like, ah, treat yourself. So yeah, I think the worst one though, and I will admit to this was. 2020 when um, you drove me down to the port and I told you I was working with a different group of guys and I was only gone for like 45 days but like 30 days of it was transit time so when I I, I was bad I know I was bad because I'm like there's not much going on and I'm like oh look I need this oh I have I need a cable cord you know wrangler I have cables oh shit curtains I need new curtain and I come home which reminds me did you get the new mattress you're gonna need for the trip coming up whenever you go out I don't know which one I want yet so I'm gonna get on that shit I did that (laughs) <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't even do four easy pays before. So remember when I was up in uh, New Hampshire, I just went to Walmart and I bought one of those mattress, like thick cover thingies and I was beautiful. I need to ask my boss because my boss is like, he is king of sailing and comfort. He takes an entire suitcase of comfort, a mattress protector, extra blankies, extra whatever. Anyway, so, we're getting anyway, sidetracked. Yeah, we're getting sidetracked. Let's go back to Bridget. So, uh, so she's also in the uh, Adult Hall of Fame, of course. And uh, what? So what is the Adult Hall of Fame? Well, they call it the XRO, XRCO. I don't know if that's like just the French side of it. Like I know like in adult film industry, they have what's called the AVN Awards. And yeah, stuff. I know about that, but I've never heard of like the Adult Hall of Fame. I don't know much about it other than what I read, but it's called the XRCO, and she. It might be just for France. Yeah, but uh, 
well, she should be all the way around. I think she but, should be all the way around too. But you know, as you said, she was groundbreaking in a lot of ways, and she her radio talk show host is almost like uh, <coughs> if you remember from like the late 80s, early 90s, Dr. Ruth type thing. Like, she'll talk about sexuality because she knows a lot about it. Uh, questions like that. And she's very open about it. Like, we watched the little, which was cool, the book came with, like, a little DVD that had, like, a little bit of a, an interview background with her. They were interviewing her while they were showing old clips. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she's very open about that. But what happened in 2018 was that she signed along with some other French women or women in general, uh, 100 women, about uh, trying to. It wasn't to stop the Me Too movement, but they had some issues with what Me Too was trying to do. Like, one of the things that came up during Me Too was uh, at one point, oh, I don't know who, the, I can't remember who the woman was, but they said, Oh, if a guy puts his hand on your knee, that's inappropriate. But, like, they were trying to say that, like, that's not really what they're talking about with sexual harassment. I mean, obviously, if a guy starts feeling you up or, or you know, forcing upon you, yes. But they were kind of arguing the fact that, like, you know, you shouldn't be telling men they can't flirt with girls. Like, that was sort of like this confusion with me, too, and, like, what... I also it? think, too, um, because French and English are not really great translations and I'll, I'll give you an example um i worked on my last job with a, a french guy and i was using a knife to cut something and he was you know just watching me and he was like your knife is tired meaning my it's blade dull. was dull mm-hmm. so i think sometimes and I, I love that though he said that my knife was tired i was like you're right it is tired give me a new knife that happened at watson one time she said that uh, when she came to america um someone said uh, she came out of the bathroom and she says does anybody have a rubber and they were like what do you need a condom for? She's like, no, no, a rubber. And a rubber apparently is like some sort of blade that the uh, English use, like a, a blade of some sort. Uh, I don't know what it is, but like... I thought in, they call, in in England, they call rubbers like boots. Uh, that, not apparently this story she was telling, she says, because that's where the confusion was, and she kind of felt embarrassed because like, no, she's not looking for a condom. She's looking for like a rubber. You might have to look it up to see how, what they, they describe it as. But uh, anyway, the, the 100 women that wrote or signed this petition, one of them was Catherine Deneve. And the little blurb here just says, Catherine Deneve insists men have the right to hit on women as she denounces Me Too campaign as puritanical. Now, I don't think she worded it right. And we're going to get into Bridget's comments in a minute because that the right to hit on women is not really the way you want to word that, and I think that's a lot of the confusion here. Um, but as I said, like, if I'm sitting next to, if I didn't know, if I only knew my wife, Neko, as a co-worker, so basically if, you, if she's on a ship with a co-worker, they're friends, they, they're good co-workers, uh, if he wants to get her attention and he touches her on the hand or the arm or shoulder... That, to me, from what they were saying, this is not what they see as inappropriate. This is just, 
co-workers stuff. But we don't we don't see that as a pr- inappropriate on the ship either. Like I told you, and I, they are a lot more lax there because you knew going in. They were like, "Well, how do you feel about men talk?" But but that's not even that. I told you I was on a ship where I called all of the guys hobbits because <laughs> they just like hugged and had like elevensies together. They had like snacks every day. It was very cute. So it really does depend on the environment. If, if somebody needs to get my attention, most of the time it's like, you know, if they had a squirt gun, they would squirt gun me. Um, but I'll give you a good example. Would you consider this sexual harassment? Because I do not. I keep tools in my back pocket a lot. Um, I am going to... The last guy I worked with had a thousand pockets. I'm going to find those pants for me. But we would take tools out of each other's pants. He's not trying to grab my ass. He just wants a, a screwdriver, screwdriver right. right? Like, and I think because he and I had worked together and we are, you know, we've been friends for four years, just, it wasn't weird because he'd be like, yeah, I need that screwdriver. I'd be like, yeah, I need that hammer. And I'd like take it out of, out of his pants and one of the hooks. I mean, it's always dependent on the person, obviously, uh, some people are just more sensitive about stuff than others, but... I would be sensitive if somebody grabbed my boob. Because that is very, very blatant. Right. And, oh, because I would never even go around and grab somebody's boob. There is nothing there to grab at all. There's there's nothing there. Unless you were, like, fixing somebody's bra. Right. my co-workers are not fixing my bra, but... Honestly, if even if I was like with a female coworker, I would ask and say, "Can I please help you with your bra because it's coming out of your shirt or something?" So I I, I do believe sometimes what you're saying with like the Me Too movement, and again, French people are a little bit more. Um, I don't want to say lax, but they're they're a little bit more free with with sexuality. I know they are, and they don't feel so like conformed or or like um, what's the right word like in a ball like almost like uh, they're not very uh, prudish. I guess. Yeah, no, they're not prudish, and they also don't feel like giving somebody a hug and a kiss on a cheek is sexual harassment. That's kind of common in Europe. They're not as uh, worried about sex as much because some of their shows are very sexual in nature. Some of their their statues that are out in public are very... There's there's boobs and penises and it's just the body and as a, a child you would see like this is a statue, boobs, penis. It's out in the middle of a square. You wouldn't even say anything because you're like, this is an artwork, you know, type scenario. But yeah, anyway, uh, when they were on a panel at one point, um, probably discussing this this letter, open letter they were doing, Bridget got into a debate with some of people for me too, and. She now this is apparently what she said. Now I can see why people might take issue with her wording, but this is only what was reportedly claimed. Now we don't even know if the translator, because like I know I don't think Bridget speaks English because everything I've seen her in is in French and have translators, so I don't think she speaks English. But this is going with the knife is tired thing. Yeah, 
so apparently she says at one point well one can enjoy during during rape during a rape i have to inform you and this is in reference to an orgasm um it became a very big deal not so much just with me too people but the own like uh, Catherine Denevay and the rest of the people who signed that open letter turned on Bridget with that uh, to the point that Bridget apparently had to make like a tearful apology but she stood steadfast in her uh, clarification of that yes a woman who was being raped could indeed have an orgasm even if she doesn't want it and that's really what she came back to she um, let me see what she said here she says, what I meant to say, because I know matters of sexuality by heart, is that sometimes the body and mind do not coincide. And that's really what she was trying to get at. It's like, she doesn't endorse rape. Uh, she's very much against it. But if a woman gets raped, and you and I were talking about this a few nights back, that, uh, you know, she could end up having an orgasm, but not by choice. Like, it, 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 and it makes her trauma more, because... Then there's, as you said, there's guilt. There's like, oh my God, I got raped, but I ha I came. And like, you know, it's like, I, I didn't want to, but the body just didn't cooperate with that. And it's it's a physical reaction. Yeah. Like, it happens. It is, and it, I, I'm not saying that women enjoy being raped. I'm not. I'm just saying like from actual women who have reported this from being raped have said they had an orgasm while being raped and then they had extreme guilt and I think kind of what that's what Bridget was trying to say and I think also because she when she said enjoy I don't think she meant like women enjoy being raped she was trying to, to say orgasm maybe in a more um PC way instead of saying women will orgasm from rape but you know maybe not because they like it and again I've I've worked with this French guy many many times and the the French to English translations are not always like word for word so I think she wasn't saying a woman wants to be raped to be enjoy it women like to be raped i think she was saying and she even kind of came back and said i'm not i'm not you know saying yes rape is good i'm saying it's a physical reaction to what happens and it is proven that women can have an orgasm even if they are forced to have sex DJ Anubis and I are not condoning that. We are not saying that this is a good thing. What We're just saying we've read all of the articles and we've read lots of studies where they say it is a physical possibility for women to have an orgasm regardless if they are enjoying it. It is just a physical reaction. I was thinking about this today because okay. you know, it's a personal story so people can laugh at me all they want. But Oh no. As a young teen, in my, you know, early teens, like, controlling my erection was very difficult. So, I, you know, occasionally you'll see in movies or 
videos, uh, even in song lyrics, you know, kids, young men not able to control their, their erections. Like, you, you remember Breakfast Club, uh, mm -hmm. Michael, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He, he has that moment. Mm -hmm. That's similar to what I had. Now, I had it, unfortunately for me, I had one of those moments at a pool. And mm, as much as I tried... the cold water and everything. Damn. Well, I was out at the time, but, you know, I saw a couple cute girls... And I didn't want to get an erection, but it happened. And so at first I was trying to, like, you know, cover it up. And then I finally got in the water trying to, like, think of other things. You know, like, think of baseball. But that wasn't before they had seen me. And so they walked by me while I was kind of just chilling there uh, in the sun. And, and you could just I could hear them as they passed by. And one girl goes, boing! And so it was embarrassing for me like and that's kind of traumatic for me because i didn't want that to happen and so i kind of feel bad not that not that they had to see that but because i got caught having an erection when i didn't want one so it, it, i understand totally where bridge is coming from like I, I, you know i don't know anything about the female body but i know that like the act of sexual like for me I often ask myself, how is it some men really can get an orgasm by hurting a woman or anybody, you know, in a sexual act? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, we see many horror films where they kind of play off of that stuff where serial killers, like, you know, like, even the worst ones who kill their victims and then have sex with them, like, how? How do you, how do, you do it? Like, it, so, I, it's, some of it's just people that are very bad but then in other situations on the other side of that for women it's like they don't want to but because of what's going but on what you're there. saying is exactly why they feel so guilty and dirty is because yeah they're in a position where they have no control at all and their assailant has all the control mm -hmm. they don't want to be there they're being abused and then they get penetrated and now they had an orgasm when they're scared out of their mind. How is it possible? And that's what it, there was this whole like this whole study, and I, I forget what it was like. You know, the American psychological thing. I read where they they interviewed lots of women who reported to their therapists, and they agreed to this that they talk about being raped their experiences and that they actually were able to have an orgasm but it was it was so painful because your body is is experiencing you know an orgasm euphoria but then they're being hurt you know choked or whatever is going on during the rape they're being violated and then their body is still like Responding saying, yeah, responding in a, in a, in a, a very euphoric way, and a lot of these women have been traumatized by it, and have that's why a lot of rape victims, you know, sometimes don't talk about anything or come forward because they feel guilt. yeah guilt and they feel almost responsible. So and I, and I think that makes sense because you know I, even I up until maybe twenty or twenty five years ago didn't realize just how sensitive women are when it comes to having orgasms like i learned later on like just through various sources that you know a woman can sit on a dryer vibrating and mm -hmm. get off or 
you know, women find different ways they can rub their legs together and still get out. Like, that's amazing to me. It's, but that, you know, again, we talked about the one guy that had, like, some sort of ailment where when he would just walk but have orgasms. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to. It could even be, like, his underwear or is brushing against his right. penis a particular way. And it would be Painful constant after a while. orgasms yeah. that would just be so horrible. It would be, like, have you ever sat on your foot and you're trying to walk yeah. and it's sleeping and, and that's his penis felt like pins and needles all the time. Yeah. Well, I'll give you I'll give you a good example. We just talked about this the other day. When um DJ Anubis tried edibles for the first time and he really was kind of messed up and I was messed up too and we're kind of making out and you know but he did not move and he had no control over his penis his penis was stronger than the edibles <laughs> just because he was aroused now granted we're married and we've been married and we've been together for 20 years so it's not like I was literally forcing myself and being mean to him but just the sheer like excitement excitement and touching and he's just like i can't move but <laughs> out of body experience i'm having yeah i'm having an outer body experience but you can get on top of me like that's literally kind of like what happened and i i i'm not i'm not comparing that to being raped but i'm comparing that to he had zero control over like walking but his penis was still experiencing pleasure i understand as a woman like you you could be scared to death but if somebody is you know working in that way it it, it's possible it it really is possible to and, and I don't think women should feel guilty about that. And I, I really think a lot of the, um, a lot of this misconception with Bridget was probably just her wording and because she... Yeah, and it goes back to Catherine because Catherine made similar mistakes in the way that she worded things. She's like, men should have the right to pester women if they're sexually or romantically interested but i'm like it it's not about a right like you, you do have to have limits because if you're interested in somebody uh you can let them know but if they tell you like they're not interested then that's really kind of like the cue to say okay back off um so i don't know whether Catherine thinks that a guy should keep pursuing a woman because if that's the case and i do disagree with that um but then there's other cases like you know Emma Watson when she was younger, I I just had read a, a old email that she had to one of her ex boyfriends, and well that's the time they were dating, but she was like, because they were kind of like in between, like they were just seeing other people, and she's like, how old was she? Fifteen or sixteen, I think, or something. Oh. It was one of those ones that got leaked, but I was curious about you know who she was and whatnot. But anyway, uh, she had told the guy you know you came to see me 
uh, and you were kind of doing that whole like, what's the boombox thing that he was doing, trying to say anything. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he'd come to try to work it out with her or whatever, and she's like, you know, it was a great gesture that you did, but I would rather you maybe come up and just kiss me. But then on the, the flip side of that, now maybe Emma has a lot of different feelings about that, but now Me Too is kind of like, if you're interested in someone trying to go in for a kiss would be seen as wrong. Now, I don't know if they all feel that way, but that's kind of what these women here in France are getting at. Like, there, there's a point where men should be allowed to express their desire in a, in, a, in a sense that they're interested in a woman for romantic reasons. And there are limits to that, obviously. Um, you know, date rape is a big thing that we have to... I think that's the most, like... But that's also a scary thing because, you know, some of the Me Too people are like, uh, especially with younger men, boys and girls, uh, you know, they're, they're actually learning as they're going, growing up. And I think back to when I was a teen, like, sure, I was with some girls that were inexperienced, but, like, it wasn't rape. Like, they, you know, if they would have told me no, I would just stop. But they never did. But according to some Me Too women, they're like... Well, they were probably telling you mentally. And I'm like, no. You have, I mean, I, I get it from your perspective because nobody is telling you no. But as a woman, I've been in, you know, sexual encounters where I'm like, ah, I really don't want to be here. I'm really not comfortable with this. But we as women, and this is all you ladies out there listening to me especially young ladies, you have to say no. You have to say, I'm not comfortable with this. And I had girls, when I was making out with them, say, you know, it's time to stop, and I did. So it's not like I never had a girl say, no, we're not jumping into this. But And, and I'm not saying that... No, no, one, no I just wanted I'm to saying, clarify for I'm, them, because next saying, time I've got people up my ass say, oh, you motherfucking you racist, racist. No, like, I'm just saying it for me as a woman, because what ends up happening is... Especially as a young lady, you know, you're you're young, you're making out, you're doing whatever, and you're trying so hard to be Please. like a pee people pleaser, but you're also like and that's a scared. Thing. That's a common thing. And so you don't say no because, but then it's usually when you're saying date rape, it's usually with somebody you love and trust. It's not usually so, like, hardcore where it's, like, somebody yeah, it's, just, it's, like, busts down the door and rips off your clothes. Or it's, it's not like a blind date, usually. It's, it, those usually don't happen right away. I will say I know um But I think that several, happened to uh, Aziz Azari. It his, did. Because she claimed afterwards that she didn't want to, but she had never said the words. And then people were trying to argue that she he should have read her mind or the body language. Notice the body But I'm going to say this because I... You I'm, have I'm, to say it. You have to say it because men are dumb, and I'm sorry. We are. But they are. Be, and when we're sexually charged, you know, we if we you're think not, that you're going to want to have sex, unless you say the magic words... Or push you physically off. Right, like, right, right. So, I've known a lot of women friends of mine who have had bad sexual experiences because they just were not comfortable with saying no or pushing people away and you know I'm not trying to minimalize their trauma 
but if it's with somebody that you're dating and you're not like vocalizing I'm I'm you know I'm not comfortable no or if you're not pushing them away and saying no then the man's never going to even realize that you're unhappy so it, it's it's really tough and I me personally I've been in bad sexual experiences and I will never call it rape I will call it a bad sexual experience that I had because I was literally an over 18 having a sec I don't a sexual experience I don't know how to put it and I wasn't a hundred percent happy with it not that the person forced themselves on me but what you're saying with the Aziz Azari thing is the same thing where the girl was just there she was not happy with it but she said nothing I've done that myself and I would never call that person out because I just considered it a bad sexual experience I did not feel taken advantage of I just felt like we weren't in sync is that the best way to put it I guess but I think the biggest thing with um you know circling back to Bridget is she's been doing this podcast for years and you know before that for 30 years she was this incredible actress and yeah I mean I'm not gonna say she was like an award winner but really when you like I'll, I'll say I'll be honest like when it, you know <laughs> I'm not like a porn connoisseur in any sense yes, but you are. <laughs> don't, don't lie. but there are certain actresses that make it very believable when they're on screen some other ones not so good in fact you and i have talked about this how <sighs> modern porn is really trash like it's modern really porn i i want the old school 1970s plumber coming in you know yeah, just it, it just seems like the women for better at performing uh, their scenes and everything. And Bridget was no different. Like she knew what it was that would turn people on. That's just how it was. But she did that even if it wasn't porn. Right. Yeah. She wasn't afraid of uh, her body at all. Like, well, we, A lot we, of the movies like, she was in, she would be totally nude. But like, see, like in Faceless, I don't even think we saw her boobs. Like she was. We saw it once, I think. Uh, she was totally like her character. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, um, I just uh, you, when we talk about the media and everything that happens, like you know, they twisted her words a lot and they used it against her. And rather than kind of ask for clarification, it's like immediately they jumped down her, and even the girls that she signed the open letter with turned on her. So I mean, they probably worked it out by now. I don't know, but. Uh, very good actress, uh, starlet, whatever you want to call her. I just, I'm a big fan. Here's the other, I, I have to throw this in there. Sorry, back to the orgasm with rape thing. So, I just pulled this up. So, even though I was terrified, I orgasmed twice during my rape. Does this mean I implicitly consented? This is an argument for a date rape mm -hmm. where 
they're saying the orgasm is me meaning you weren't actually raped. What are your thoughts on that? Sorry, I just kind of pulled that up. I'll read the first part again. This is from the victim. Even though I was terrified, I orgasmed twice during my rape. Does this mean I implicitly consented? No. Yeah. So. And that's what Bridget was getting. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's, it goes back to how the woman felt afterwards. Like, she, that's why she feels like somehow she asked for it or she enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. When in reality, it wasn't that. It was just that her body responded in a way that she didn't want. And like. that's where men get off on that and they're like. Yeah, they want you, the fear. Yeah, they're like, oh, I fucked you and you came. Even though I forced you to have sex. Yeah. So it, it's so... Oh my god. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a scary thing. And I think people need to understand that when... You know, even... I, I, th I just think even when I read, uh, like, whatever Bridget's initial wording was, I still understood what she was getting at because I just understand. I do too. Like, it's common sense to me, really. I do too because I... She said the word... The reason that Bridget got, like hung out the dry was she said the word enjoy right and i don't know if she was trying to be a little discreet by saying enjoyed instead of orgasm but because i've worked with so many french people i understand the french to english like translation is not always like word for word and i she said enjoyed that doesn't mean like they enjoyed being raped. It meant that they actually had an orgasm. So I don't know. All right. All well, right. I could, you you know me. I could topic. talk about this for a hundred years. Well, in the next block we got some classic Anthrax, classic Razor, and the very first time we heard Lord Petrus Steel before mm. Typo Nega. This is a band called Carnivore. What? 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 Turn that shit up. Here we go. This is called Predator.
Zobo with the Bandy Thorn. You're listening to the Hordes of Chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio. Pump it. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate it. your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Alright. Time for the Retro Movie DVD Vault. Although we actually streamed this one, but we said we were opening up our... Yeah, we cracked the vault a little bit, mm-hmm. and it was kind of... Um... Let's put it this way. This would be a movie I would own if I had enough money in the world. But I don't even think it's on DVD. That's the problem. I'm sure it, it is. might be on VHS. You know, it may not. I, well, actually, no, it is because they said they, they just kind of released it on Blu-ray, so it's now just kind of getting around to it. Well, it's like my my sidekicks. I yeah. don't think sidekicks. Sidekicks is not. No, the I, one we have is actually somebody. I think it's put somebody like bootlegged. Yeah, and I bought it off the internet, and I'm like, oh yeah, I got sidekicks on DVD, and I don't think it's really. No, it's not. No, even Samurai said that that one's not available. Which it should be, but, you but know. hey, we got we got the hookup. <laughs> so I was gonna pick a different movie. I'm not gonna say because it might come up, later. you know, later. And our when I say our retro DVD vault, it's literally a it's not a closet, but it's like a shelf with doors that close and lock. So I unlocked the shelf and I opened up the doors and I'm like skimming through and I pick something and I pick something else and then I pick something else and he's like oh I'm not in the mood for that and I'm like okay this is what I'm in the mood for DJ Anubis agreed so we sat down and you know how there's like commercials on Amazon we're on Amazon, and there was a commercial for a movie, and DJ Anubis is like, this is a really great movie, and I'm like, I've never seen it. And he's like, what? <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? This would be a good idea. I I mean, I, for me, I can't believe I've never seen it, because it had to have been on late night TV a oh, million yeah. times, and that's my, that's my jam. I'm, you know, a late night TV person, but... I said, all right, I will give up my retro DVD vault. I will close the two doors and lock it, and we will stream this movie because I've never seen it, and you're telling me it's a great movie. Spoiler alert, it is 
80s perfection with a chef's kiss. It is all of every like in like it has some flaws. It does. It does, but like think about like when you're trying to be stereotypical 80s, that's what this movie oh, yeah. is. Yeah. That the is, haircuts, yes. the clothes. The haircuts, the clothes, like and it's right in the middle of like all the movies like one thing that got brought up was what they were trying to compete with footloose at the footloose, time yes yes um but basically what's great about this movie is the cast so uh you got james spader who's the lead mm-hmm. um and i are big fans of the blacklist which is a, a series on netflix the last eight nine seasons or whatever but you got to think of other things that James Spader has been in recently. Um, well, there's another movie you haven't seen that you said you were interested in. He was also playing opposite Jack Nicholson in Wolf. So he's in that film as well, um, which I think is on Tubi right now. So we might need to just okay. sit and watch that, just for, just for even if just that's not fun. our pick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Spader's been in a lot of different stuff. He was a part of that whole, like... That... It was Well, there, there was like no, because that was Emilio Estevez. That was a lot of that crew, but you know, even then, like there was another group. Basically, you had the uh, Ali Sheedy. You had um, Ali Sheedy was considered the Brat Pack. Andrew McCarthy, uh, James Spader. There was a lot like Robert Downey Jr., who was also in this, was also part of that other clique. Uh, that not the main uh, Brat Pack, but just the other clique of that. Uh, Kim Richards, who I actually found out, <laughs> believe it or not, like I told you, that her most famous role is the little girl in Assault on Precinct mm-hmm. 13. Well, it turns out she was also part of two other TV movies that I really love from the A's, and one of them's The Car, and the other one's Devil Dog, The Hound of Hell. So she was in both those films I couldn't remember at the time. Oh, wow. Uh, Katya Sassoon, Vidal Sassoon's daughter, who eventually passed away in her 20s, like in the early 90s. Uh, I remember her more. I didn't even know she was in this film until I saw the credits, but I knew her more from uh, Angel Fist, which was a martial arts film in the early 90s that she was a part of, and she was kind of like the star in that one. Uh, like I said, Robert Downey Jr. is in this. He's, it's really kind of funny because we were laughing as we were watching the character is in this film where like certain parts we could just see where he took some of that and made it to uh, Tony Stark later on for Iron Man, which again, <coughs> both Spader and uh, Robert Downey were also in Less Than Zero, which was another movie around that time. And and Iron Man uh, actually it was more of uh, Avengers. See, the Avengers uh, Ultron. So, obviously, uh, Downey playing Iron Man and Spader was playing the voice of Ultron. So, these guys have connected a few times. So, I wonder if, like, there's friendship there. Just kind of say, hey, man, you want to come do this? Yeah, let's do this. Uh, so, yeah. So, they have, like, a long history of working together and whatnot. But the premise of this film is basically Spader plays, like, this rich kid whose family is kind of falling on hard times. So, they're... Basically, moving. They moved from East Coast to West Coast. They were like preppy, yeah, waspy, coming from Connecticut, going to L.A. in Reseda, which is kind of like lower class L.A. Yeah, and of course, uh, the family has you know his mother and father, and then he has an older brother who's like an aspiring lawyer. But Spader's character uh, is 
bit more of a rebel. You know, he doesn't really like the the Richie scene that much. Like he kind of pushes back on it. Um, no speci no particular reason really, other than that he just he likes to get in trouble and just kind of be his own man. He doesn't want to be a certain thing. Uh, his name is Morgan in the in the film. Uh, then you have what happens is their opening scene really kind of sets the tone, and that was really kind of what grabbed me the first time I watched it because I just remember catching it on TV at some point, maybe HBO or something. But uh, you know, Spader's out one night riding his bike or, as the film starts, and then you have this other scenario uh, in the city there where uh, this group of young kids who are more like little thugs, <laughs> you know, they're waiting around and they're waiting for this businessman who comes walking out and looks like Meatloaf uh, with a briefcase. <laughs> and uh, so Frankie is played by Kim Richards. And uh, so she's coming out and she's pretending to be a little school student and basically getting the wandering eye from this older man. Uh, to set him up for basically the uh, the, uh, the robbery, and as they're trying to attempt to rob this guy, this is when Spader comes on his bike, singing his little tune, and kicks one dude and takes the spray pan, and you know he just he manages like to, to get this guy to go away, uh, to get away, and, and somehow impresses uh, Frankie uh, Richards' character a little bit at that point, but because no one's ever stood up to him, right? So yeah. And, you know, at that time, no one really thinks much about it until the next day. School starts, and, uh, the, who's the lead guy? What's his name again? Uh, James Spader? No, 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 Nick. Robert Downey Jr.? No, no, the, the, the bad guy. Oh, oh. What's his character oh. name? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, Frankie's boyfriend's, like, the leader of this thug group, and he's still kind of pissed off about it. He's, like, hoping to run into James Spader's Morgan again. Uh, and then he ends up seeing Morgan riding his bike around school, like, before classes start, and he sees, oh, yeah, great. So, anyway, basically... Paul Moniz? It's Nick Hauser. Nick, okay, so Nick was the name, okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, they end up taking his bike off the rack after school, and they're fucking around on it, and, of course, Morgan and uh, Robert Downey's character come out. They've met in class, and they've kind of buddy-buddy a little bit. And so it's at this point that the tension starts rising. You know, they're messing around with his bike. They've got a couple of cars. These guys drive like a Camaro and like a Mustang. And they're, they're doing wheelies in the parking lot, which is security guard who is more concerned about Morgan riding his bike on a sidewalk than what these guys do in the parking lot. That's kind of the funny thing about the film. Uh, so, yeah, at one point, uh, they do give the bike back to Morgan. They're kind of talking there a little bit of smack. And then. The guy with the Camaro, like, literally drag races down the parking lot and smacks into the bike, knocking it out of Morgan's hands and basically ruining it. And they spray paint in his face and all sorts of things to kind of get back at what he did the night before. So there's already tension there. Uh, so the rest of the film basically just plays where now, because it's such a small little town... Or city or whatever and the kids all go to like one warehouse for where these local bands are playing which is Robert Downey's a drummer one of them and uh, he's a pretty crazy crazy character um, but you know obviously Morgan starts taking interest in Frankie like he's really attracted to her and he keeps trying he does things against at first pretty much against her will not rapey stuff but 
you know, he's trying to dance with her and he's trying to like get to know her and she's mm -hmm. like she doesn't know really how to spawn because no one's really done that. Like everyone fears this group in school. Um, you know, they're sitting there taunting Morgan with the bike at the beginning. And, and at one point she even said like I think I'm just gonna get married, like after high school. She's a senior in high school, and that's all she thinks she has is right. Because you know they're all kind of like in the lower part of the city, and so for her, her, you know, it's just her and her dad, and you know she doesn't think she has a future anywhere else. So she's pretty much just chalked it up to I'm gonna get married, and that's it. Uh, but Morgan is a little bit more like open. It's like you know you can do anything you want to do. You don't have to like marry or anything. And he's trying to at some at some point they they get together and they have a bit of a different culture where he takes them to like a country club after stealing the camaro from one guy because they got yeah i think morgan was kind of like looking back to his connecticut life and he's like i don't know how this works it doesn't matter you don't have to have money you just like need to blend in right and that's what he proves he's like you know you just come in you talk the talk and you kind of look the look but you know, eventually they get figured out they're not supposed to be there, but it's not after they're eating the food. And even, I forget the other girl that's Richard's friend, uh, Frankie's friend, but she's kind of like talking about sex with some of these high cl higher class girls that probably don't know anything about what she's talking about. Like, they kind of just nod their head in agreement because they don't really know, like, oh my God, who is this chick, you know? Uh, but yeah, as, as Morgan keeps trying to get to know Frankie throughout the film, uh, we see Frankie kind of start taking an interest in Morgan, and that's causing conflict with Nick, who's still pissed off. And basically, Nick is like the guys we are, when we talk about bad dudes, like even in real life, this is the kind of guy we're talking about, because he's like, you don't mess with my property. You yeah, calling call them property. Right, so, you know, he's the guy that Me Too is worried about. That's the kind of guy you don't like. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so Morgan, you know, he, he's trying to get to know Frankie, and you know, they go out dancing, that's one of the big things we notice about the film, is a lot of dancing, sometimes mm -hmm. two or three minutes worth of dancing. A lot of choreographed <clears throat> dancing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you know, eventually they, they start growing closer, but then the tensions with Nick, and you know, he's, get, he's starting to get more violent as the film goes on, because he sees that he's losing his grip on her. Uh, to this other guy and eventually it all culminates down toward the end of the film where uh, you know they end up shooting Morgan's dad while they fall him one night in a taxi because his dad's a taxi driver and they shoot him while trying to rob him, even though Frankie was trying to get the father to leave because they had just had dinner together mm -hmm. like it was a big thing for them but uh, so now Morgan has to go try to get Frankie and he, uh, he's got a couple little dark guns he's been messing around with, killing roaches with in his mm -hmm. room. Uh, he leaves a message for Downey's character, who, you know, at the time you don't really know what Robert Downey's character is going to do, because Downey's character is kind of more of like a, a, I wouldn't say a pacifist, but he just, he knows those guys are dangerous, so he keeps trying to tell Morgan not to mess with him, but he, he still does shit. Like, he's the one that stole the Camaro, so he still does things to agitate uh, all these other guys. Um, so you're at the warehouse where the bands usually play. This is what they're all hiding out waiting for Morgan to get there. And Morgan sneaks in. Of course, there's a bunch of different fighting here and there. 
Nick and I are kind of laughing because some of it's kind of uh, silly in the way it's done, but this is the 80s, so you got It's gotta... not, it, it's just long, like, yeah. oh my god, <clears throat> and it's like, won't, if something, if you would get hit the way that they got hit, or fallen the way that, you would die, but like, no, you get up and you're back at it. But, again, you know, when I say this film's kind of dated, that there's some issues with it. This article I'm reading about the there's actually it's on Kino Lover. They have released a Blu-ray of this. Uh, but the review says like tonally, Tough Turf is very bizarre to say the least. It's a movie where a gruesome death is immediately followed by characters having a laugh-filled dance, party. and that's really kind of the end because the end is so abrupt that you're not it's shifting gears so fast. Like you know the the end is the end, and then all of a sudden next thing they're back at the club dancing. I'm like. Everyone's so happy now. <laughs> you know, it's like, we don't even know what happens to the dad who's in the yeah, hospital. He, like, he got shot. There's no no, no conclusion as to what happened to the father, uh, other than he's on, like, life support or whatever. But uh, no more, like, no more talking with the brother or the mother. Uh, like, they, like, you would expect them almost to bring all of them back into the club celebrating to show that maybe there was some time passed. Like, the dad's better and everybody was there, but no. Oh, uh, like, we might see the dad in the club. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's really, uh, it's probably a lot to do with editing because, you know, they probably only had so much budget for this because this is very early in these guys' careers, so almost no one is really known at this point. And so, the editing in here is, just, there's a lot of weird shit going on. I think you told me, I thought... They added more dance scenes because they were trying to compete with Footloose. Yeah, so Footloose got really popular, and they had... So they shot, but then they realized that Footloose was popular, and they hired a choreographer and decided... Like, that one scene, I was like, why are they dancing? Like, they just got into an argument. There were many scenes where the dance part just kind of took over. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I still really like this film a lot. I mean, it's got that grittiness of the 80s, and it, as someone pointed out in the article, like, the review, that, you know, it has, like, a almost a throwback to the Roger Corman stuff with the, the teen delinquency and stuff like that. Almost like, because um, especially during the 80s, you had stuff like Teachers mm -hmm. with Nick Nolte, um... I think Lean On Me was around that time, mm -hmm. too. Yeah, so you had a lot of these, you know, teen angst films, especially the 80s with this stuff. Uh, ironic, well, not ironic, but coincidentally, Fritz Kirsch, who was the director, ended up also doing uh, Children of the Corn. So he had also directed that, which was a much better film in terms of how it's put together, but uh just giving you a kind of backstory him but uh yeah I, you know i still really enjoyed this film a lot i'd been a long time since i'd seen it so i thought well you know if neko wanted to check it out because she hadn't seen it i hadn't seen it i was excited to see it and it's exactly what i wanted it's an 80s masterpiece like perfect 80s masterpiece yeah as they said uh like i still learn new things even now as we watched it, about, like, the other stuff that Richards had been in and Katya, so, you know, I didn't even realize she was in the film. <laughs> so, you know, you always learn something more going back to something. Um, 
Yeah, so, but if you're interested for the people out there, like, Kino Lober does have it on Blu-ray now. They did re-release it, so... Uh, it is a fun film, for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm glad. I'm I am glad that while I was pulling out my other pick of the week out of our physical retro DVD vault, you were in Amazon Prime and said, hey, and then we watched a little clip. I'm happy to see it. I mean, we look at James Spader is kind of like this weird, I don't know, eclectic dude, everything else. He but, has a very interesting approach to his acting and for character because they all, in some ways, have similarity. Like Morgan and his demeanor is almost like Reddington in The Blacklist. Only it's a but he's version. very likable in this. Right, right. And but there's also another film which, again, I know Nick hasn't seen, but I, I'd love to go back and revisit it. It's called Jack's Back, and it basically deals with uh, Spader playing. A dual role between twin brothers where one brother dies and it has like some back history to do with Jack the Ripper. Oh wow! So it's not that time period, it's like a modern day, but it deals with that like a ghost or something of that nature. Um, but also has Cynthia Gibbon in it, I believe. Um, but it's a really fun movie too. So it's just it's around the early 90s, I think he did that one, but a lot of fun stuff. So. So who do you think really stole this movie? Do you think it was James Theater or do you think it was um, the girl? I forgot her name. Oh, Kim Richards? Yes. Uh, it's easy to go with Richard because Spader stole it because it, it really made a role for me. Like, I really liked his, his character. Mm -hmm. But obviously with Kim, they wanted to try to... I don't want to say try to, but they sexualize her in a way that she's dancing a lot and... You know, she's very they did the looking. whole like look at me I'm a bad girl but now I'm gonna do my hair nice and my makeup nice and I'm a good girl kind of thing which is so interesting because I've, I've seen it happen before like with Pamela Anderson mm -hmm. um, Pamela with not so much makeup is very gorgeous and I'm not saying she's not even gorgeous with the makeup but she cakes it on and she caked it on kind of early in her acting career when she didn't really need to I don't think but when Frankie goes through that transition from where she's kind of like this rocker chick to, you know, blue dress, less makeup, and very, you know, hairs down, very not in, not in the frizzy. Prince. Yeah. Uh, she just looked lovely. Like, you know, it's like sometimes less is more, you know. But, uh. And you must love me because a lot of less. <laughs> there you go. Less is more. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, All we're right. gonna get down, go down the stretch. What's going on next? Kicking off the next block, uh, sent to me by a band called Sickness. Mm -hmm. It's called Sky Burial.
listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs>
close out this edition of the Hordes of Chaos. We hope you what? all enjoyed it. What? Yes. What? What? What time is it? It's almost ten thirty. Holy balls! Holy shit balls! So we got a special guest DJ. Her name is DJ Meg Meg. The rabbit that can't speak. She can't speak, but she's sitting on my lap right now. And this is what happens when Neko is kind of drinking a little bit. She'll like wander off, <laughs> especially <laughs> towards the end of the show because that's what it, the rabbits. Right do. then, all of a sudden things just start happening. Like rabbits appear, and you know she she'll like, oh, was it over? And then you know one of those things. So sometimes I start. Well, we started later this time, but I cooked dinner beforehand. But sometimes, like at the end, I'm like, yeah, we're like starving. So I'm like, I'm, like, I'm cooking start. dinner. Okay, so I got this covered. You go, you go, start cooking. <laughs> but this time, I I just went upstairs to go pee, and this beautiful, adorable rabbit. We have uh, two rabbits. We've had them for a long time now, too. And uh, Meg was just <laughs> she's just waiting there, like no. <laughs> she was chilling out. I was like, I'm gonna scoop you up. And now Maggie is about eight pounds. Peabody is about four, maybe? About half the size of yeah, Meg? Meg's almost the size of Miss Kitty. Not quite as big, but close. Like, like she, I think she's long, but I, I, she's not super heavy. But no. we, um, we've had Meg for about three years, and I think Peabody for about five. Um, and we're, well, at least I. Boy. <laughs> I adopted them and they're I taught them how to use the litter box and I'm See this is where again Nubis gets revenge like Anubis's revenge oh cuz Neko just appears with animals so now when Neko gets back from things there's like tarantulas that show up that she didn't copy the plan on so Anubis we, is again Meg together. Well, Peabody picked Well, we had Meg. to find him a, a, a compatible partner, yeah. companion. But it really turned into the Meg show because... Oh, she's the boss. Yeah. She's got some good eyeliner. Look at this beautiful girl. We, um... I I have to say to people with... oh, How cute are you? Um, rabbits are pretty fucking smart. Most people are like, oh, I'm gonna eat rabbit and I'm like please don't but they both of our rabbits are litter box trained um they are like little raptors they're destroyer of things so they will chew everything they possibly can I don't know if you looked at the underside of our blanket but this one here is the blanket chewer so I um I really find how fun it is and I feel bad because like I, I pay attention to them but I'm like I don't I feel like I'm not playing with them all day every day but they do have each other and they snooze like you know 15 hours a day but it's it's kind of amazing how much they uh, they can learn and they can be trained we, uh, shit we even saw that with the cats the amazing acro cats uh, last year that we saw well, it was cool because we had to leave for a few days and we had this automatic feeder, which they understood after about a couple of hours how it worked. Yeah, they were like... They're... they're like, oh, yeah, food Hello. time. So, I'm pretty impressed with our bum buns. 
and I've always been a rabbit lover and I you know this one here Meg she is such a doll she is she's never bitten never scratched never even given two shits about anything except for her cookies Anywho, thanks again for tuning in, and uh, we will see you all next week. I got one last track for you. Is it about metal bunnies? No. No, why not? It's called Impaler, the dead bunny dreams. No, <gasps> just kidding. It's the dead no dreams. No. <laughs> Later, all. Oh, you said Meg Meg. No, I did. Oh, I did. <laughs> Gotta go.
Come